Welcome to the Bailu Podcast. Please note the information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Welcome to the podcast. We've been talking recently about themes, sector themes, themes that are driving the economy and ones that are providing interesting and successful businesses to invest in. Today is no different. We're talking about technology and specifically the cloud. So cloud computing, what it is, how it works, who does it and who benefits from it. And to help us out, I'm delighted to welcome Gary Rollo, Portfolio Manager at Montgomery Investment Management. Welcome to the Bailey Podcast, Gary. Thanks, Nick. Thank you very much. Great to be here and uh, looking forward to having a chat about all things technology. Let's go. Indeed, let's do it. Uh, For those not familiar, tell us a little bit about Montgomery Investment Management to start. Sure. Um, Montgomery Investment Management, we've been around for about a decade. Uh, We have uh, north of a billion dollars in domestic funds and about the same again in international. We run a small cap fund here uh, for Montgomery under the Montgomery banner. And uh, we have an emphasis on finding companies with that long-term sustainable uh, competitive advantage that people look for. And there's a few of those in the technology space um, with the conditions the way, are, the way they are right now. And when we go into cloud, I'll explain a little bit about why um, cloud is particularly interesting for companies of a smaller disposition today. Okay, so sector themes, technology in the cloud. What is the cloud? So if we wind the clock back 20 years when um, I was a technology consultant running around London putting systems in to deal with Y2K for a whole bunch of large UK corporates. The only people that could really afford my day weight were large corporations. And so back then, you'd have to pay for the hardware, the software, uh, my time to put it in, and it, it cost a lot and you had to pay up front. Then you had a high, a high cost to manage and operate because you needed a fleet of smart people to run these things in the basement. Today, all of those upfront costs and those run rate operating costs are made available to to anybody via the cloud. So that, that capability, that technology that was available only to large corporates um, with a big check to write, you can now gain access to these things on a pay-as-you-use basis. And this is, you know, the, the key DNA and building blocks of technology, compute, store. You used to have servers in your basement that did all of that behind-the-scenes technology work. Now, all you need is a link to the internet and some of these very large technology providers, Microsoft and Amazon, will do the job for you on a pay-as-you-go basis. So no more investing up front, no more hiring um, expensive technology consultants or buying your own hardware and setting up your own networks. Um, All you do is you link off to the internet and you buy these services when you need them. Uh, and that saves you not only money in terms of an operating cost, but obviously you're not paying upfront for the privilege of building a peak capacity technology environment. You're only paying for what you use. Um, so the value equation in terms of cost is significant um, in terms of significant cost savings, I should say. Uh, but also um, you can you can be a lot more agile. You know, when I was a consultant, we would we would pitch projects and those projects would take you know, many, many months, sometimes years to deploy. Uh, now, with these assets available in the cloud at pretty much um, real-time availability, 
the the ability to go away and test something and try it to see if it works is now in the hands of corporates like never before. So that flexibility around technology has been delivered uh, by the cloud, and uh, that that enables you to do things that you just wouldn't have contemplated before. So bringing all that together, um, the the most significant element of cloud is is who now has access to technology that perhaps didn't have that access before, and it is small companies. Uh, small companies can't quite literally look like big companies now from a technology perspective. And if there's one thing that I've learned from my decade of investing over here in Australia, it's that uh, in Australia, innovation lives in small companies. Big companies tend not to innovate. They're too busy holding on to their existing market position and doing whatever it can to stave off competition there. Innovation, uh, Nick, as we know, it lives in the small company land. And, and all we've done is we've hand them, handed them literally the keys to uh, the IT environment of a big company. And so now um, you've got all of these little startups and small companies out there that look fantastic online. And that's, of course, where more and more people are transacting today. So I think it's very significant from an investing sense uh, in the relevance of small companies today for your portfolio. You, you quite literally um, are investing uh, with cloud as a backdrop into companies where innovation lives and they really know how to use these tools and I think uh, many of the small companies are going to become household names over the course of the next decade as a result of that technology uh, landscape shift. So um, that's what I think. Okay. Wow, the cloud. So a mega trend. Um, so let's get into um, some of the, the small companies in, in a second. But first, just in terms of um, sort of fleshing out the trend itself. So we hear a lot about the, the cloud um, from Microsoft, Amazon, Google, the three big you know providers globally. It's um, yep. a, a market the size, you know, $80 billion US market and growing at 30% um, quite strongly. I guess when we're thinking about megatrends, I think we, we think tend to think about in terms of what penetration rates are. So out of the overall technology economy, who's using cloud and who's yet to use the cloud and how does that translate into some sort of a time frame for this trend to play out in your view? Yeah, sure. Well, let's segment the market a little bit. So first of all, the the corporate enterprise computing market is a trillion dollars. This is a genuine one trillion dollar market. If you add up all of the IT services companies, the software and the hardware that gets sold annually around the world, one trillion US dollars, huge. And as you rightly mentioned a little earlier there, Nick, um, you identified the three large cloud players that are in the market today in Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. And as you said, they had about 80 US billion dollars of cloud associated revenue growing at 30% last year. Now they are launching lots of products on those platforms. There's more than 200 products each on those platforms today, which is very, very significant. And that's not even talking about AliCloud, that's Alibaba's cloud, where uh, the, you know the Chinese e-commerce player they're getting into this market in a big way across Asia. And then you've got a whole suite of other big vendors that, you know, you and I might have heard of, but perhaps the audience hasn't, um, you know, Salesforce.com, Workday, those kind of companies. And that's before the likes of IBM, Oracle, and SAP have been considered. And those are huge companies with huge install bases in this market um, of yesteryear, and they've yet to make their play into cloud. So um, the significance of the scale of the opportunity uh, is, is not lost. 
then the idea of, well, where are we in terms of, um, you know, seeing major global corporates? And by that, I mean all of the brand names here in Australia and around the world. What what have they done in terms of embracing cloud? Well, um, when I was uh, uh, back at Morgan Stanley, uh, when I worked there maybe about a decade ago, I ran a CIO survey and uh, we used to talk to the CIOs to find out where they were moving their technology spend. Morgan Stanley have continued that survey. And last time I checked, you know, the, the information on cloud it was somewhere around 20 to 25% penetrated in terms of enterprise workloads. So that is what uh, the large corporate enterprise around the world could move to cloud, but hasn't yet done. So you're about, you know, as I said, about a quarter of the way through. This is a trend, like I said, and you know, one trillion dollar market shifting. You don't see that very often in your lifetime. Yeah. So this is a trend I think will um, will last for, you know, let's call it another five to ten years of just moving the existing workloads to the cloud, and that's before innovation has occurred on top of that platform. When we've, when we've really found out what type of workloads or capability that these corporates want to do in the future. I mean, all we're doing is talking about doing what we used to do yesterday and moving it to the cloud because it's financially more efficient and capable of doing so. But once you've got those tools, what do you really want to do with them? That's what the future is going to look like. And if there's one thing that's clear today, you know, the, the amount of data that's produced is huge. I think there's more data produced in the last two years of mankind than have been produced in all of the years preceding that. So you, that's an ongoing phenomenon. And so we'd expect that um, as you go look into the future, that uh, cloud has a big role to play in, you know, effectively maintaining an ever increasing demand for information and knowledge by consumers or corporates or whoever out there needs to make a real time decision and putting that information directly into the hands of that person so they can make it. So, um, yes, we are maybe about a quarter of penetrated today of what um, of what we what we currently do today. But uh, if we look out into the future, there's a whole lot more to come after that. So we, we think this uh, trend is going to be around for five to 10 years. And it's a, a very interesting investment trend for us to play on. You're listening to the Bailu Podcast. Let's get stuck into the stocks because um, that's why sure. we're here. That's, that's, that's the interesting piece. So we, you've picked three stocks that are related to somehow to this uh, mega trend of the cloud, which uh, you will explain their relationship. But the first one is is NextDC. NXT, sure. uh, Australian business, market cap of about $4 billion. So a cloud infrastructure or data centre owner and operator. But um, I guess for the uninitiated, what does that mean? What does this business do, NextDC? Um, just taking a little step back, I mean, there are basically three levels of of cloud type play here in Australia. There's the cloud infrastructure guys of which Next DC with its data center assets, you know, the physical place where the cloud lives. If you, in fact, Next DC's tagline is, is where the cloud lives, okay? Mm-hmm. The second one are the applications that sit on that infrastructure and have their business models executed. And here you've got the software as a services companies, you know, and we'll maybe talk about one of those a little later, Nick. And then the third group, um, those are, you know, what we call cloud-powered companies. Those those might be companies that um, are focused on a certain vertical, uh, or even old-world companies that are seeking to embrace, you know, what cloud or the internet. Um, you know, like I'll give an example: online shopping or something like that. So you build your toolset for your online consumers in the cloud. Uh, things like that that come along 
and have traditional, you know, more traditional business models, but deployed using cloud tools to be more competitive and disrupt those um, existing companies in those markets. Now, let's come back to the very first um, layer or opportunity around cloud, which is in the cloud infrastructure. So, as I said earlier, the cloud needs to live somewhere. You know, the cloud is based on uh, infrastructure that um, is all interconnected. And at the heart of that are data centers. And data centers are basically just large offices that are purpose-built in an appropriate location for all of that physical hardware that needs to be in place for the data to be collected, processed, and pushed around to wherever it needs to be. And they're all linked by networks, whether they are physical fiber in the ground or in some cases, some sort of like wireless networks. But at the end of the day, um, just think about these uh, these assets as as um, somewhere where the cloud lives. And, and next DC, they've got uh, assets, data centers all across Australia, Perth, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, and a little one in Canberra. They've been incredibly successful at uh, building these data centers and building an ecosystem inside of those data centers. And the thing about an ecosystem or the thing about um, a data center is that the more people that you want to come into your data center and exchange traffic, the more value to those people there are. So it's kind of like a, a virtual kind of like power of the network type, type scenario. And Next have been very, uh, very good at culturing and building a, 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 an ecosystem inside their data center environment. For instance, they host the infrastructure for Microsoft and Amazon. So you get a sense of lots of customers who want to come along and use those services, those cloud services that I introduced you to earlier, of those big players, and they take a rack or a piece of um, space inside NextDC's data center, and then they just quite literally plug into those services using some form of physical lead, if you will, that goes from their piece of hardware off to um, the, the server that connects up to the, the Microsoft uh, environment if that's what they want to access. So next DC, their assets that they build um, when they're purpose building these data centers, they are 30 to 40 year assets and they compete uh, with other data centers out there. But right now we've got such a, a kind of gold rush or a land grab, if you will, uh, as cloud is growing so fast, the appetite for data center space at scale uh, with the quality that next DC can uh, build these data centers at is, uh, is quite strong right now. So we're seeing significant uh, demand for them. Um, it's a very capital-intensive business, but the good news is, is that once you've built your data center and sold it out, as in you've um, you know sold all of the space inside your data center, the high friction cost uh, of those customers to pack up their kit and leave and go and find um, a, a different data center to exist in means that these customers choose not to do that. And so you've got long-term sticky cash flows backed by land and the physical assets and building that this all sits in. And so it's kind of got a long-term real estate and investment trust type cash flow model that sits behind them. And so that's why NextDC for us ticks a lot of the boxes. We can access the growth that comes from the cloud, but we've got the asset and the cash flow certainty in the long run of, um, you know, uh, you know, those, those long-term cash flows that come from those customers in the long run. And these assets, like I said, they're, 30 to 40 years old uh, life cycle span. So 
that's uh, you and I will be long term retired, but before um, next DC retires, one of its old data centers. With a bit of luck. So, uh, so, so yeah. five years. They got a great track record in terms of share price of over five years. Next DC, they do. They've got um, you know circa twenty percent revenue growth track record, twenty twenty percent customer growth um, track record. So, uh, just so I understand it, you mentioned it, it sort of like um, a trust uh, sort of characteristics, but it's not a trust structure, is it? It's a it's a it's no. a normal company. It, structure it's a normal company exactly right and those those types of returns you know sales growth and 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 profit growth that you're you're referencing those have been built through sheer hard work of a talented management team i mean you don't just turn up and do these things these these assets are incredibly long duration as i mentioned and um the management team had to earn the trust of its investors and debt providers, capital providers to, you know, justify you know, building the next asset. And so if you go back and, and look at um, the initial few data centers that NextDC have built and subsequently film, uh, filled up, the cash flow generation relative to the capital they deployed to build these things uh, demonstrates great cash flow returns on capital. Uh, and that's the attraction. And so they've recently raised um, some equity, about $860 million. So what are their plans yeah. uh, for that? Well, uh, I mentioned earlier that building a data center is quite capital intensive. So you've got to buy the land, build the building, and then you've got to fit out the infrastructure inside the building. So the specific plans for that are to fund the development of S3 which is a Sydney data center, the third one in, in Sydney, S3, hence the name. Yep. And um, that will be a very large facility. There is talk of that being 80 megawatts. And just to give you a sense, the first Sydney data center was 15 megawatts, subsequently um, upgraded to a bit more than that. The second one, S2, was 30. And it's almost full now, um, having uh, come out of the ground only a year and a half ago. And the next one's 80. So these things get bigger and bigger. And the licks of capital required to build them uh, follow that bigger and bigger mantra. And so a big chunk of that 860 million bucks that you mentioned um, will go to funding that development. And so if you think about, you know, an 80 megawatt data center, uh, it roughly costs, I reckon, about a billion, maybe a billion and a half to put that up. Um, so, you know, that 860 million that they've raised in equity um, alongside existing capital means and accessing the debt markets. Uh, that's what is going to be required. You know, these are big investments. Uh, they last for 30 to 40 years. Very significant. And just in terms of their customer base, you know, you mentioned Microsoft and, and Amazon. How much comes from those guys versus um, enterprises sort of directly, if you like? Yeah. So at this particular point in the life cycle of Next DC, um, I think in hyperscaler, and that's the Amazon, Microsoft, and Google type platforms that um, I referenced earlier. I think in a market like Sydney, which has been hyperscaler dominant, uh, if you are someone coming from overseas, you've set up your infrastructure in Sydney before you've gone south to Melbourne. You know, somewhere around eighty percent of the um, of S two, for instance will likely have been taken up space-wise and power-wise by these big players and only 20% by selling um, space to, you know, what Next DC calls retail, but what you and I might call, you know, the banks, the lawyers, the, you know, the, the usual suspects of corporates here in Australia. In places like uh, Melbourne, 
you're going to have slightly less hyperscaler um, customers um, just because they haven't gone and built at the same level of infrastructure down there yet. But I would imagine in the medium term, you're going to get that type of customer list down there dominating. Over the longer term, you make a lot more money out of selling to the likes of Westpac and all that kind of stuff than you do to Microsoft. And so you need that cream to come in on the top uh, to make the returns sing the way that they have been. So uh, in the long run, um, you'll, you'll have many more customers in there than just Microsoft and Google and, and Amazon. But for the short run, those guys are dominating the market today. Okay, uh, we need to move on. Time is getting away from us on this very interesting subject, but this uh, has been NextDC, the data centre provider, $4, million, $4 billion Australian uh, market cap company. The second one on the list, Gary, Megaport MP1. Now, if you look at the website for this business, they say that they connect the cloud ecosystem. So they're involved in cloud technology. It's got a $2.3 billion um, Australian market cap. It operates globally. Uh, but I need to confess to you that uh, having looked at uh, their website and some of their uh, investor presentations, I don't actually know what this business does. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to keep this one uh, as clean and straightforward as I can. So the name Megaport gives us a little hint. One of the big issues that uh, big corporates out there have today with the way that they can uh, access those cloud services that we were talking about is is when when they were setting up their computing environments and uh, they might have had a data center out there that wasn't in their building, they had to go to the telecom providers and say, I'd like a dedicated link from you know my head office to the data center, please. And the telecom provider you know, rubbed their hands with glee and said, fantastic, we'll build that for you and we will also tie you up to a three or four or five year contract and here's your terms, take it or leave it. In a cloud world where you want to access services that might be hosted in many different data centers, your need to just connect to one changes the need to connect to many. And so we've got a new problem on the table for these corporates because they don't want to go and wait six months for that link to be built. And they don't want to be tied down to uh, a contract that might last four or five years when you know they might only want to move one or two workloads a week or something like that to some of these data centers that they want to connect to. So along comes a company like Megaport who says, don't you worry about dealing with your problem of connecting to many different locations, incurring the cost and the time. The whole idea behind cloud is that you can move quickly and nimbly. Set up with us, get an account with us, connect to us in one data center, and we will connect you to many. Hence the name Megaport. So the idea that Megaport takes care of that friction cost of moving information around your network when it's in various different places in the cloud as a problem that large corporates didn't have before, but they do today. And now they're very interesting because they've got what I would call that initial land grab position, you know, solving this problem first. And as we know, in some technology um, examples that we've seen over the last 20 years, you know, that winner-takes-all type scenario. 
and Megaport have a have a case to make that they could be that winner in this segment. So they have been, you know, first to market with a with a product. Um, they've rolled that out globally, and they're growing very fast uh, because who doesn't want to take up these great cloud services that these cloud providers that we've talked a little bit earlier about uh, have got in the market? And Megaport helps you do that in a low cost way without any upfront capital needing to wait for the link to be built and um, you know without needing to spend a lot of money so they, they've got a nice proposition in the market and we think um, great opportunities ahead and so megaport um, just again um, help me out with understanding the business they're, they're doing this they're helping uh, their customers do this through a, a software-based solution a hardware solution they're renting the um, the links from other other people. How how are they a combination of, of all of those things? How are they actually providing? What is their 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 actual product? So I think you have read these presentations, Nick. You've, right. you've undersold yourself. You you've got it. <laughs> so um, what what Megaport do is you you sign up for an account with them. Um, you establish a link to one of their locations. You know they've they've installed their software in many different data centers so that it makes it very easy for you where you've already got an instance, for instance, of your of your technology, you can connect to them and then they will open up access to all those other locations that you're looking for because they've deployed in many places. So they do that by, as you, as you say, they will take care of building uh, a network between all these data centers by sometimes renting from tel- um, telecom companies or other times, you know, working with existing data center providers and, and their customers to facilitate those network links. Uh, there's some smarts in there. This is not just, um, you know, as simple as you and I are describing it just now. They've got some smarts in there they call software-defined networking so that they can take care of some of the problems that are very specific that technologists spend hours and weeks and months sorting out. Um, and so they've got a capability embedded in those, those tool sets to do, um, to do some things that, uh, that you and I, uh, that's above our pay grade right now. But uh, the, the reality is, is that, yes, they do solve the problem the way that um, you've described and a whole heap of other things too. Yeah, okay. So Megaport, look, they've had a great track record over the last um, 18 months um, or so. The, their share price has done, uh, done very well. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a global business, um, not just in Australia, but uh, you know, North America, I think, is, is the biggest piece. that They raised a little bit of capital recently, not, not too much. Uh, Gary, $50, $50 million, what, what are they applying that to? So... Um, Megaport yet to become free cash flow generative. So the capital that they raised is to provide uh, the appropriate funding for the business until it achieves that point. And so um, arguably the the way that that last capital raise was positioned or the latest capital raise was positioned was to say, look, that's the last one that we're going to do before we become um, free cash flow positive. And and thereafter it becomes self-funding and self-fulfilling. So it's really good old-fashioned funding for growth. Yeah. Okay. So that is uh, Megaport. Um, the last stock uh, that you want to talk about was uh, Big Tin Can. So um, we're talking about uh, companies with uh, billion-dollar market caps, and this is at the smaller end. Big Tin Can, three hundred and thirty million market cap. Again, for those who don't understand the business, what uh, what does it do? So Big Tin Can, that's a company that you'll be pretty familiar with, Nick, because Baylu's helped them with their IPO. Uh, what Big Tin Can does is it's one of those um, what I call cloud applications. And so they have a software as a service business model. So uh, instead of 
buying a license up front and then deploying it and incurring all the costs up front to um, build um, that application in your technology environment. Instead, you access the cloud and their application runs in the cloud and you pay uh, a monthly fee. That's the that's the revenue model for the business. And that monthly fee will be based on, you know, depends on the type of deal you do with them, but it could be users or, or number of times that the, the tool set is used. What Big Ten can do is they um, are in a sector called sales enablement. And here you are providing uh, a tool set that augments, as the name suggests, the ability to sell. Now, in some sectors, particularly regulated sectors, uh, demonstrating that you've gone through the appropriate sales processes and only have one sort of um, version of, of uh, say, regulated sales tools, and like in the, in the pharma sector, for instance, or even in the financial services sector, when you're dealing with a certain set of clients, uh, there's things that you're allowed to say to those clients and not allowed to say. And one of the ways that you can control your sales team is by having all of this sales enablement tool set put in front of the sales team so that when they are conducting the discussion with customers and making available content to those customers, that it's come from one source and that source is controlled centrally. And so um, it brings significant productivity as well as um, you know, making sure compliance events occur. And that's been the driver for the business in the short run. Yeah, so as you say, uh, we cover Big Tin Can. My colleague Luke McNabb covers covers uh, Big Tin Can. He's got a buy rating on the stock, so he has a, a positive view. I guess it, it particularly this software particularly suits mobile workforces. So you men- mentioned um, in the medical and pharmaceutical industries, the financial services sector, telecommunications companies. So sales reps that travel the regions talking to their customers, pitching to new customers directly to make sure that, as you say, that they're absolutely up to date, utilising the cloud to make sure that they've got the latest available sales tools in their toolkit at any point in time. And by toolkit, of course, we mean the virtual toolkit of the mobile sales rep. So presentation packs, product catalogues, price lists, product specifications, coaching and training procedures and manuals, all of the sales collateral that is the bread and butter of the mobile sales rep. Plus, it's software, obviously, or software as a service, as Gary mentioned, so it does all sorts of other things as well. So it has a communications capability, um, it has analytics within the system, and a degree of automation as well. Um, and that one's really interesting as a small company. I mentioned earlier that cloud um, brings the opportunity to prosecute niches that were previously unviable. This, to me, is a classic example of that opportunity. You would not have had the ability for this business model to be deployed in the old conventional sense. But if you deploy on cloud, um, your your infrastructure scales with you as you grow and you make your product, as you say, available anywhere. I think you mentioned the mobile attributes of this product. You make your product available anywhere, and that expands your addressable market at the same time. So you've had that really powerful effect of cloud on this opportunity set that just wasn't there using conventional infrastructure of the past. A great example of a niche that's now available for investors to invest in uh, because of cloud that simply wasn't before. So that's Big Tin Can. Just lastly, in, in terms of summing up um, your view on the stocks, how, 
Valuation, how do you approach valuation? We're talking about here a theme that you identified as being at least five to 10 years um, in duration. Of the three stocks, I think two um, are still investing and and not um, recording profits at this point. So um, as a firm and as an individual portfolio manager, how do you approach valuation for this technology sector? What do you look for? Yeah, so, well, first of all, look, the businesses need to be able to have uh, a future that we can buy into because for sure, when you're looking at valuation, if you look at the earnings or in in the case of a couple of the companies, the the lack of, you're going to say, well, what's that worth? And you're going to wrap yourself up in, oh my goodness, this company's loss making or it's got such a high multiple, you know, you're going to, you're not going to see the opportunity if you value these businesses on their earnings power that you can see today. So what you have to do and what you'd expect us to do as investors is look ahead, understand what the size of the market opportunity is and the competitive advantage that's built into these companies that earns the right for them to take market share in that future market. Then you've got to look at the business model and ask yourself, well, what type of scale um, is available if they have that type of market share? And the beautiful thing about technology companies is that they can scale very quickly. But, and this is the key thing, you only get that scale if the sales come through. And so when you're looking at technology companies particularly, you must have Um, a significant amount of the due diligence time that you're putting into these businesses to understand if these products can be sold by the management team and their kind of capability that they've got in the business today. And so when we're doing our due diligence, we focus really hard on what the strategies for selling are and the capability of that market to be developed to get to a scale that allows these companies you know, with their competitive advantage to take the kind of share that they need to take to allow us to look at and say, you know, at some point in the not too distant future, this company is going to have 10 million, 50 million, 200 million, a billion dollars of EBITDA. And when it gets there, the market's going to value this at X, Y, or Z. And we simply just discount back and say to ourselves, right, this thing's trading on 20 cents on the dollar of what we can see in five years it represents um, a a decent value. Now, you've got to make sure that they've got the capability of getting there financially too. So, you know, that's why when we're um, looking to invest in companies, we're asking ourselves, would we write this thing a check to fund it to its next stage? And that's a a typical key criteria for us to, to, to answer as well. Okay. Uh, Thank you very much. So Montgomery Investment Management and your um, small companies fund, how has performance been, Gary? Performance. Well, we started in September. Uh, I should know this off the top of my head. I think we're something like 10, 11% ahead of the market since then. Uh, We've enjoyed the dislocation in the market that's happened as a result of the COVID lockdowns. Uh, We have benefited from the fact that we've invested in some of these technology companies at the bottom. Uh, We recognized early that their business models were going to be unimpacted or largely unimpacted by the lockdowns, uh, the economic lockdowns as a result of COVID-19. And so we focused really hard on that area of the market. Um, And we've also gone after some cyclical areas that we felt would do quite well as well. So things like retail, 
And um, we have a little bit of building in the portfolio too, uh, or or, or uh, construction type exposure in the portfolio too, because we think those sectors will, in an Australian sense, do quite well. So, yeah, performance has been kind over the last um, few weeks and months, and we're pretty optimistic about the opportunities um, that we can see in the small cap market, not least because of uh, the cloud points we've just been through, Nick. Yeah. And as you say, at the bottom of the market, or post-bottom of the market, um, it's been this technology sector that of, of everything uh, that has bounced back uh, the hardest and in some ways now is um, some of the share prices are higher than they were before going into the COVID crisis. Okay, that's about it for this episode of the ELNC Bailey podcast. We've been discussing a key theme in technology uh, that is known around the world as the cloud. As we discussed, it's just north of an $80 billion market that's growing at 30% as one way to look at it, but another way is that it's a huge addressable market, upwards of a trillion dollars. Um, and penetration rates of this change, of this movement, this shift to cloud, um, it's a five to 10 year trend. So penetration rates are, are low depending on how you look at it anywhere sort of 20 to 25% as, as Gary mentioned. Investors in Australia, the good news is that investors in Australia have access to a number of companies that provide services into the cloud ecosystem from infrastructure providers, service and software providers and other industry disruptors. And as Gary said, even lowering barriers to entry and enabling small companies to compete on a global scale. Um, to that end, Gary Rollo's key picks in the space are NextDC, the data centre provider, Megaport, the connectivity business used by firms, to at the smaller end, Big Tin Can, software as a service that uses or is enabled by cloud technology. The easiest way to get more information on Gary's fund, the Montgomery Small Companies Fund, or indeed any of the Mon Montgomery investment management funds, is to speak to your financial advisor or go to their website montinvest.com. Thank you to our special guest, Gary Rollo, Portfolio Manager of the Montgomery Small Companies Fund. Thank you very much, Nick. It was a pleasure. Had, had a lot of fun. Make sure you're subscribed or follow this podcast to make sure you're kept up to date with our thoughts. We're available on all the main podcast platforms and apps. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Gary Rollo once again. Uh, thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye. You have been listening to The Value Podcast. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. You should not rely on general advice without making your own inquiries or your own assessments about the suitability of the financial products or services mentioned.